Hey fellow wool gatherers, how's it going? JPP here. Just wanted to jump on before we get into the episode. Uh, we talked to Liza from the Deva Quartet, as well as Andy, who was the producer and mastermind behind this project that uh, we covered tonight. We uh, had a little bit of technical difficulties midstream. Liza's laptop kept freezing every time she'd start to answer a question. Uh, she hopped on a couple times. We chopped it up so you really can't tell, but Midway through the show, you notice the quality just changes. Um, we ultimately decided on the fly, hey, just give us a call in, and we just used the phone, and it streamlined the process, and we were able to have a good conversation the rest of the way through. So we cover a lot of topics in regards to the making of the album, what they have in store, uh, general music nerddom, which I was a big fan of, and I know this is Foggy's Paradise because we talked about Rush 99% of the show. But anyway... Um, that's really it. Just wanted to make sure, you know, we caught it. We know that there was an audio quality issue and, uh, you know, we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did talking with Liza and Andy. Also feel free to jump over on Facebook. Give us a like at wanderings and wool gathering. You can also find us on Instagram at wanderings and wool gathering. And, uh, we are also on Twitter now too. So, uh, links in the show notes there, feel free to click and follow and interact with us. Let us know what you're listening to. Let us know if we missed anything when we cover points about bands that you love, things like that. You know, we try to cover bases where possible, but of course something always slips through the cracks. So we would love to have a dialogue and learn more as, as we go along. So that's it. That's all I had to say. On to the episode. Enjoy. Awesome. In five, four, three, two, one. Ready for another episode of Wanderings and Wool Gathering? Good. Here's Foggy. Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering, episode 43. If you've listened recently, you know that I've agreed to not mention Rush or use them in any challenges. Well, with tonight's special guest, all bets are off. And I'd like to begin with a few lyrics. Anyone surprised here? Never. No. All right. Actually, I only have eight lines, but it is appropriate. So the first is from Mission, which comes from Hold Your Fire. The lines are, hold the flame till the dream ignites. A spirit with a vision is a dream with a mission. And my second song tonight is Bravado from Roll the Bones. The lines go, if the dream is won, though everything is lost, we will pay the price but we will not count the cost. I chose these lyrics tonight in honor of our guests from Deva Quartet. They recently released their album 2112 with the reimagining of Russia's 2112, and they created their own epic 20-minute song, Heaven and Hell. And then producer Andy Waters just announced their next project, Prometheus. To me, this sounds like a group who is the living embodiment of seeing your dream through to fruition no matter what the cost. So tonight, we're gonna break our usual format and welcome two special guests, Liza McClellan, the cellist and writer for the amazingly talented Deva Quartet, and Deva's writer and music producer, Andy Waters. I'm your host, Foggy, and in honor of our guests from up north, I'm wearing my Austin Matthews jersey and my Blue Jays spring chaining ball cap. And with me as always, JPP, Easy listening sounds for the hard of hearing. It's JPP. How's it going, everybody? Good. And not <laughs> with us is Teabags. 
he will not be here. He may surprise us, but he's not here at the moment. At the moment. <laughs> and with us is Metalhead Monday. Step inside into his mind. It's more than time. It's Metalhead Monday. How's everybody doing? Fantastic. Good. Real quick, before we get into the big format, I just want to say one thing. Monday, I thought of you yesterday when I was filming at the wedding reception because they played Backstreet's Back All Right. Nice. And I know your affinity for that tune. And I've got to say that watching everyone groove into the, on the dance floor and you not there was kind of put a little tear to my eye. Yeah. Well, we should explain to our guests that uh, <laughs> I am a huge metalhead. I listen to everything, but I'm a huge metalhead. And they always tease me about being a boy band fan. So, And add to the point where uh, I've been put in pictures <laughs> with, like, I'm a member of Backstreet Boys. So. Just so you know. That's where it stands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what he says. We all know the deal. <laughs> and I would also like to welcome now our two very special guests, Liza McClellan. How are you tonight? Hi, I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. You are welcome. And Andy Waters, he's coming to us from California. How are you tonight? Great, thank you. Very cool. Thanks for coming on board. First off, we really appreciate it. And we're really excited to talk about some exciting music and, you know, kind of live outside of our normal format. You know, we've been reviewing a lot of metal albums, rock albums, some hip hop here and there. So, uh, you know, we're kind of changing the ensemble a little bit and, and digging into some of the more, I guess, acoustic and natural elements, even if they are electrified, nonetheless. So really looking forward to it. Yeah. I think when I saw your, uh, the posting on Twitter about your album the first time I instantly, I think within five minutes had contacted on Twitter, Mr. Uh, Mr. Andy over there and requested to talk to him information about the group. I was so excited. So um, having you guys on the show is just really exciting. I'm super glad to have you. My pleasure. Yeah, this is really cool. It's a, it's a, it's a treat to be invited to talk about, uh, something that you care so much about. So thank you. Awesome. <laughs> Very cool. Well, to get the night uh, started, before we dig into the band's background and the record and your upcoming record, we always do a challenge on the show. On the show. So we're going to go ahead and start it off tonight. You two being the guests, we're going to let you start by naming your favorite Rush song. And one of you said it was super easy. So let's hear it. Let's that's really easy because the 2112 album it's an all-time favorite of mine but the 2112 suite that we ended up arranging with liza's group uh that's unquestionably my favorite rush song i knew you were gonna say that andy <laughs> I, I thought i put a note on there that you couldn't choose 2112 didn't i no. <laughs> maybe maybe i didn't i don't know <laughs> you put it on there a little too late i think gotcha all right liza what is yours all right. Well, I will just say, maybe this is why my computer died. It was like, yes, the decision was so hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I ended up going with, uh, with uh, Marathon off of Power Windows. I, I love a lot of stuff out of the 80s. There's like sounds in there that att attached me to childhood. I think it's a wonderful song. They were experimenting with strings. It's, a, it's an epic pop Song, and I think it's great. <laughs> That's awesome. I think that makes you the only one that chose that one. That's cool. I think so. It's not often chosen, but hey, I I love it. So there you go. <laughs> Excellent wrong, choice. Yeah, nothing wrong with a deep cut. 
Should I go with my second favorite since should I go with my second favorite since I already said the obvious one? Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Pest for Echo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't typically hear that as one of the more popular records for sure. Um, but yeah, there's some good stuff there. Yeah. Yeah, that that was an album that uh <laughs> I wore the CD to the ground when I got that. It was actually uh played quite a bit. Good stuff for sure. Good. Well, what is uh what's your favorite, Paul? Well, um let me just preface by saying that at the time when I was getting into heavy music and things like that, Rush was not on my radar. I didn't have anybody in my peer group that was into them. And uh, I would, later on in life, a bandmate, um, before he was a bandmate in high school, he kept wearing a Rush Roll the Bone shirt. I'm like, I got to check that out. And so that's what first turned me on to Rush. And I went and listened to some of the earlier discography as possible, given that there was a lot out and my allowance didn't allow me to go <laughs> buy every Rush album known to man at the time. Um, it was competing with a lot of thrash metal. But uh, I will say there's a darker riff that I really like from them. Let's see if you can recognize this. <laughs> <laughs> that's really old no nope that's like 93 yeah i'm just uh that's not off of is that off counterparts uh-huh is animate nope no it's uh what's the second song on there stick it out yes yeah dang it yep it just had a nice little brooding groove and you know from hearing rush prior to that it was like yeti sounded a little deeper it was detuned a little bit and it was just kind of intense and i was like all right i like I it i kind of remember that one yeah it was a good tune so a lot of fun i won't I, you guys won't tell on me here but that's counterparts is my least favorite rush album <gasps> i know i know you have to have one i right? was gonna say yeah. there's a million of them so there's got <laughs> <laughs> all right Mundy, what'd you come up with well I'm going to change my answer actually on the fly because um, I picked working man um, just because I love, I mean, it's early rush. It's one of their heavier kind of grooves and I am a working man. I'm a you know blue collar guy, trash man. So I, I love that. But uh, I, I, I went back and I listened to uh, actually I'm going to ch- my, yeah, my, one I'm going to go with is Distant Early Warning. And nice I've always loved that song because when I was a kid, when I was a little baby metalhead, uh, my dad bought me this cassette. It was a KTEL Records compilation <laughs> called White Hot Masters of Metal. <laughs> of all things, Distant Early Warning was on there. <laughs> So, but I mean, it was like Scorpions, Slade, Dio, uh, (laughs) like uh, Twisted Sister, Quiet Riot, that kind of stuff. But yeah, Distant Early Warning, man, I listened to that and I was like, oh, I forgot how much I love that song. I just, it's such a great song. Nice. Now you made me miss the the commercials for (laughs) K-Tel Record compilations. Yeah, man. (laughs) Corporate Office Soft Rock. Yeah. I don't know. Here, I'll see if I can... I don't know if you'll be able to see it or not. Probably, yeah. That's oh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to post that on the, on the page. Yeah. Yes, we'll that's incredible. That. All right. Well, and then I'm not going to go on for a long time on mine because uh, I did write it in an article. So you can check out the article of Break the Fourth and on our Wanderings and Wool Gathering site. Um, and my 
favorite is Xanadu. Uh, favorite live, favorite all time. You know, I, I've talked about it on the show before too, so I'm going to keep talking about it. But um, go back and find the show where I talk about it. <laughs> Take a deep dive, everybody. Good luck. Yes. All right. Well, we've got some shout outs because we did have some people from Twitter. So, uh, Monday. I have the list right here. What'd they choose? So, let's see how many of these handles I can butcher. Um, <laughs> at Vivian2112, oddly enough, went with Spirit of Radio. I mean, 2112 is in the name there. But <laughs> um, At Michael underscore MJ Ward. Went with Xanadu, so must be Steve's buddy. He seems like a smart guy. <laughs> yeah. At Cycles in the Dark, went with Red Barchetta. Uh, I went back and listened to most of these, and they're, that, that one was really cool. I like that song a lot. Um, at Giraffe Cyclist, uh, he, he said that he agrees with Cycles in the Dark, so that would be Red Barchetta again. Correct. Um, at db guerrero 23 said war paint and witch hunt so he must know tony because he cheated he picked more than one <laughs> um at t-bar 2112 again the 2112 in the name and they went with that's the one that went with working man and the entire caress of steel album um and uh steve's Friend Grant Tasky said 2112. Uh, Tom Abney said Bastille Day, which I, I've never heard that song. I listened to it today. That's a ripper, man. That's a good song. Um, and I reached out to my uncle Tim Mundy because uh, Rush is his favorite band. And that's kind of how I got started checking them out. And his favorite song is Limelight. Cool. I'm kind of surprised that one didn't pop up more, actually. Yeah, that's a that was a big one, big radio hit. Mm-hmm. For sure, that's a great song. Interesting video too. I'm in the studio. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Is is well, we'll ask that question a little bit. I was going to jump ahead there for a second. Andy <laughs> almost got me. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into uh, what we were really here for, and let's talk about Deva Quartet. Um, so I'll I'll ask this. Either one of you can answer it, but. Um, I guess, first of all, how did the band come together and also talk about the name oh. as well? Well, uh, okay. So we, um, we got together in, I think it was about 2008, wanting to be a classical string quartet. And uh, we did a couple performances in, in that genre and sort of quickly realized we wanted to do more of our own thing and more of our sort of current stuff. So we uh, we started searching out sort of uh, uh, modern arrangements of of like pop or rock music, and quickly realized there wasn't a lot out there that was of a high quality. And so uh, so I started writing our own arrangements. Actually, I think the first song I ever arranged for my quartet was uh, what was it? Uh, Newborn by The Killers. Not. Uh, not nice. by the killers, by mm. Muse. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and then we sort of branched out from there just like a mixtape, like picking your favorite songs and doing arrangements like that. And then uh and then I, I started writing original music for us. And around that time we were pro we, we sort of we we approached Yamaha and said, you know, we're doing these pop and rock 
covers and we're trying to do our own original thing would you are you interested in sort of backing us a bit and uh, they loved the project and ended up giving us a, a set of their their new electric string series which was really exciting and it all sort of took off from there so I think officially we, we went all electric in 2009. Very cool so <clears throat> that's kind of the basis there for for the start um, oh, and how was the how'd you guys come up with the name? Oh yeah, we we chose the name. So that was a it's a little head nod to one of the first pieces ever written. It's in the classical genre actually for electric string quartet. It was called Black Angels by George Crumb, and it's uh it's for electric string quartet, and uh, was the first sort of thing of its time, exploring all the sounds that electric strings could produce. And so that it was sort of our head nod to that, but we, we went uh, sort of calling ourselves Black Angels. We went with sort of Fallen Angels, which is mm -hmm. what Deva means in Cyrillic, essentially. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we thought we were being clever at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but then we went until now. Now it's like everybody's like, oh, you're the Diva Quartet? And we're like, no, <laughs> we are not Diva. We are Deva. <laughs> well, we'll ask Andrew about that Diva thing. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <Thanks. laughs> um, so, Andy, where did you come in to uh, play with Deva? Well, I didn't. Uh, I'm, I'm the executive producer. So, actually, I found them on YouTube in. 20, uh, 2018, in fall 2018. So I didn't come into the picture till much later. But when I did find them, I just was struck by their musicianship and their playing uh, was so, like, it, it was so technically proficient and also emotional at the same time that I was really attracted to what they did uh, with, their, with their original music. And there happened to be a uh, abridged version of 2112 that they did on YouTube as well. And that's, that's how I found them. Wow. How did you reach out to them? I emailed them. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever yeah. works. Yeah. Well, it was, it was funny too, because we got your, your email, Andy, and we we're like, is this guy for real? Like, really? <laughs> he wants us to do the full 2112 suite. <laughs> this is like a dream come true. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think I, so I phrased it as something like, you know, you've done the first three minutes or the three minute version of 2112. Do you want to do the whole thing? Because I love your style. Yeah. And this is yeah. after I listened to all their like original material that was available. That's cool. This, so is this your first project together? Yes. And you didn't wait long to get on to the next one. We'll talk about that one in a little bit. <laughs> um, so, so Andrew comes to the, with the idea of doing the entire thing. So, uh, Liza, how did you guys approach, it, it sounds like you do a lot of the arranging, how did you guys approach um, arranging 2112 in its entirety? Okay, so that that was all me. It's um, I sat down with the album and I wrote down note for note everything that I heard. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and that's essentially what happened. Yeah, I mean, there is, uh, like I can't tell you the number of times I would listen to one of like one of the guitar solos, for example, and was just like ripping out my hair trying to figure out what the heck Alex Lifeson was doing. <laughs> then you have to dissect a solo and you have to take into account if they're using some kind of like a, a pedal or 
if they're bending their notes or whatever, you have to find out a way to how to notate that. Sometimes it's not notatable. So for some of those solos, I'll also relatively open and left like uh, some room for, you know, you fill in the blanks here because honestly, I don't know how to write that. <laughs> um, but basically it was written out note for note. There's a score as thick as a, a dictionary pretty much that uh, exists in my house. <laughs> and that's what we all learned off of. How long was that undertaking, uh, undertaking if you don't mind my asking? Oh gosh, hundreds of hours. Hundreds I don't of doubt hours. it. I do not yeah. doubt it. Yeah. Um, once you break that down like that, how do you assign parts? I mean, obviously you're the cellist, so I assume you know you're on the low end. But then with the yes. other parts, how do you decide who does like the lyrical melody, the guitar solos, the this, the that, the whatever? It's a fun. It's a fun. That's part of the the creative process on the arrangers' part, right? And uh, it was a really great challenge because, you know, I'm assigning uh, parts that come out of a three-piece band to basically five people. Um, so that gives me a lot of space to play, if you know what I mean. So um, generally speaking, the cello was given the bass lines, but I don't know if you, you listened to the whole 2112 recording. There were moments where we would go to the... Um, the acoustic versions and I'd give the the sort of gentler Getty vocal melodies to the cello in the upper register uh, uh, when we went full acoustic quartet just to give it that diversity. So it was a question of finding the the voicing for the right instrument, matching timbre. So if, you know, depending on how loud a solo was, I might give it to a violinist or if I wanted to be really deep and sort of mellow I'd give it to viola and then uh yeah it was uh it was really fun and uh it challenged me on many many levels uh because it's it's uh the writing is very complex and very intricate and uh I knew that this is a special piece to a lot of Rush fans and I didn't want to botch it I wanted to capture as many of those special um uh what do you want to call it? All the details, as many details as I could, um, because there is a lot going on. And uh, finding a way to, you know, get the, the right voice for the right moment. Uh, there was some trial and error. Uh, you know, I would try a couple different things and, and uh, bring it into rehearsal and we'd play it through and I'd get a big, nah, that didn't work. I have to, re, I have to rejig this. And then there's also, you have to find a balance of, you can't always give, you know, the solo to violin one. You want to share it around and make sure everybody's happy. And I had to make sure that each member of the of the string quartet were given some key solos. So everybody has a chance to do, you know, one of the big Alex Lifeson guitar solos too. Band politics, right? <laughs> oh, yes. It's, 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 a part, it's a part of everything. <laughs> um, just briefly, brief sidetrack. Uh, you know, you guys have done several covers. And one of my questions was, and you touched on it here, do you tackle all of them that way where you just go in and, uh, you know, dictate everything? Or, or, or how do you approach it? Yeah, pretty much. Because yeah. 
Yeah, I'm like, I mean, I know a lot of, and I've, I've played in bands where you can kind of jam things out, you know, especially if you have a chord chart or if everybody kind of knows the song. Um, but it's it's just tricky with string quartet. You just need to have more details written out. And um, in order to get, to, for, in my experience, to make a song sound the way it really needs to, um, to get every single detail, um, I just find I have to write it all down. <laughs> and the great thing about having, you know, classically trained players is they can read anything. So, you know, for the most part, everything works. Definitely. Fair and I wanted to comment on you talking about the choice of timbre as well. I did notice that, especially because the cello with the thicker strings and the lower register, when it goes mm-hmm. higher, it has a softer mm-hmm. approach, much like a yeah. singing higher notes. And I, I love that. I, uh, you know, not to dig too deep into, you know, my experiences, but I did study some classical guitar and really got to work with some various musicians in college and absolutely love that miss it for the most part, but you know, yeah. time goes on, but no, nonetheless, I want, I wanted to compliment that as, as a, a nice attention to detail and a nice gesture on how the music played out. One question I had is, you know, bringing the drummer into the mix too. Um, yeah. You know, how, how does that um, work out? I'm, I assume, you know, you were working with the notation for the pitch. Did the drummer yeah. bring in his experience with studying Neil's parts or did you have to oh, uh, yeah. arrange that as well? Oh, thank God. <laughs> I, did not, I did not have to write drums, no. <laughs> Zach is a, he's a fabulous drummer. And I, he, he was, uh, we've been working with him for years, uh, which is, is a, has been a, an absolute blessing. Uh, he's really, uh, he's such a technically proficient, hard-hitting drummer, um, jazz trained, mm-hmm. and really awesome. happy, fun guy to work with, and very professional. And he's like, he's a huge Rush fan huge Neil Peart fan. Uh, one way, and when I, I remember I called him as soon as we had sorted things out with Andy and I was like, Mac, is this something, I mean, we kind of need you to do this. I don't know if we can do this with anybody else. And he's like, um, is it, is it normal that I say I've been dreaming about this my whole life? <laughs> he's like, yes. I, that's like the thing that got me playing drums with 2112. So that was really, it's been really special for him too, to do Very that. Cool. And uh, yeah, thank God I didn't have to write down anything. <laughs> awesome. I would die. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I did notice watching videos is that he didn't ever look like he was breaking a sweat or struggling with the parts, which is awesome because yeah. <laughs> you know, playing, playing with some of the musicians I play with, and it's not a dig at them. It's just, they have different sets of experiences. They haven't studied professionally. And so right. when they go to play something like Tom Sawyer and the rides fast, I, I start to see the struggle face kick because the wrist starts burning and stuff like that. So it was awesome <laughs> sure. to see him just kind of flow through it. Like, yeah, we got this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think the one thing in a perfect world, I think he would have loved to have a bigger drum set. It's just we, oh, sure. we don't have the, you know, if, you know, if only we could have one of those sets. But, uh, you know, we can dream. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Mac was beasting on the drums for like a half hour at the studio on something completely unrelated to the project. And he still didn't break a sweat. He was really incredible. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about, um, and I, in the review, I brought this up, that the most important part for me was getting that moment when our protagonist in the story finds the instrument and starts kind of messing with it and it sounds off. And then he, as he plays, he gets better and better. Did you guys take any special care with that part or how did you approach that one? 
Yeah, yeah, that one, because that is, that's like a, a pivotal moment in the story. Um, and it's kind of the first time you hear the sort of, you can get that warm sound. It's, it's the, uh, you get a sort of, I mean, really it's, when you, when you break down 2112, it's quite orchestral. And um, this is a move, movement where it really, if you, if you were to hear this in an orchestra, it would probably just become a string quartet or something really, really personal. And uh, yeah, we wanted to kind of do that one right, <laughs> for sure. You know, uh, we didn't do the, the tuning as long as um, Alex does in the, in the, the original um, because it's tricky to, to hold a listener's attention with four people doing that kind of thing all at the same time. And we felt it was important to have all four of us tuning and not just one person tuning because uh, we were trying to, four people were essentially trying to be one and then two voices. So, yeah, I think uh, we did our best anyway. I uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> hope it translated. But, uh, yeah, getting the timing was uh, really, really important. Um, this is, uh, you know, listening to the 2112 release that you have 2112 and the heaven and hell, it obviously feels like a huge undertaking. I mean, it sounds that way because they're just both monster pieces. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Andy, what, what are you doing behind the scenes to kind of make that happen? Well, the first step was, of course, reaching out to the group and seeing if they were interested in wanting to do it. And that was with 2112. And then as it got a little further along uh, and I listened to more of their stuff and I talked more with Liza, I thought, hey, why don't we just do an album? So the question was, what do we put on the other side of the album? And I thought it'd be cool to have another 20 minute epic. So I wrote the story for Heaven and Hell in uh, November, 2018. And I again approached the band and I said, hey, what do you think of this story? Would you be interested in having uh, a 20 minute epic song on the album to complement 2112? based on my original story. And they said yes. So that was that was the first step in that in that process. Can you talk a little bit about um, the creation of that story? Um, sure. Yeah, it's epic in a, the music part of it, but I mean, you gotta tell a story that holds up the whole way through too. So where did that idea come from? How long had you been working on that? <laughs> it, it literally popped into my head the day that I wrote it. Come on, make up a story. 20 years, <laughs> labor of love. <laughs> well, to be honest, it, it's uh, it's one of those things that I can't control. I have this, uh, I'm, I'm watching my hands type on the screen. I mean, I'm watching the letters appear on the screen involuntarily and the words just appear. So, but to answer your question, this is based on kind of themes that have been in my life from growing up and being in a, in a kind of religious, I, I would, I hate to say brainwashing, but a, a religious indoctrination in, in my younger uh, years, like in high school, for example, led me to themes of like, you know, heaven and hell and, and uh, a soul's journey and redemption and sin and all that. And that was probably the, the main inspiration for the work. Awesome. So Liza, when you received this, how did you go about putting that idea and all those words? <laughs> that was, well, first, let me just say, I think it's, it's every every artist's dream to be approached by somebody and just given full license to here's the thing that I'd like you to do. And you just do what you do. <laughs> I 
uh, it's just such a privilege to have been given the opportunity. Uh, and I will say this was, I had never in my life written anything longer than five or six minutes. So, you know, I'm like in my head, well, after I'm like, yes, of course, this is going to be amazing. And in my head, I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> and, uh, and figuring out that process, it was such a joy to work on, honestly. Um, you know, you, you're given a short story and, um, I mean, I'd never, I'd never written an overture before, but I knew that I'd have to write the overture last <laughs> and I had to create, we, I was given sort of this, um, breakdown of how the, the, the piece would be in, in sort of three major sections and then an overture at the beginning. And each section was, was representing a major occurrence in this story that I was given and, um, trying to, um, yeah, tell a story musically was was good fun and finding themes that I could carry through throughout the same way that Rush does. I mean, you hear these through composed ideas that keep popping up in and out throughout 2112. I challenged myself to do the same thing. And so, you know, I've trying, I'm trying or I tried to um, leave these sort of Easter eggs all over the place in the three songs and then inserted or created the overture last with as much stuff squished into it as possible, uh, but sort of changed keys or written backwards and all kinds of things that would make it sort of interesting to a massive music nerd like me. <laughs> <laughs> so how did we do on our review of the, about that particular song oh, when it came to the music? So cool. Oh, it was so cool listening to you guys talk about it. I, I it's just, I'm just humbled. <laughs> were we it's, close? It's, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. We didn't have the lyrics, I mean, so we were really trying to dig them out and, and figure out exactly what was going on in each section. So it was just curious. No, I think you nailed it. No, you nailed it, really. And it, I mean, it's more, if you can, if you guys are capturing and, and understanding the story, even without hearing exactly what the lyrics are, that's even better, honestly. I think we ended up uh, later sending you the words. Yes. Yeah, we got him. And that's where I, I finally realized that um, Andy had written the story because um, I didn't yeah. know that before. Right. Um, so that was right. really cool. The real collaboration with you guys. Right. Thanks. And yeah, just to, uh, it was a real, it was a really like self-actualizing kind of thing to be able to find a group like Dave Quartet, who's like so technically proficient, but also great to work with and also enthusiastic about this kind of thing. So I'm, I'm honored. Aw, <laughs> thanks, Andy. <laughs> Very cool. Can I ask a question in regards to the recording process? Sure. Uh, so, you know, I'm a music nerd too, but I'm also like the audio, en audio engineering nerd um, as well. Whenever I do reviews, I'm usually dissecting, you know, how the effects are because let's face it, effects are fun, fun, fun. But mm -hmm. what I wanted to ask was um, when you are recording, <laughs> I did see a video where everyone was in the studio. There's baffles separating the drummer from the other musicians and you're using electric, uh, you know, instruments essentially. Is that how yeah. these were recorded too? Or did you go in with acoustic instruments and uh, track in a room setting and or there's any times where somebody came in on, you know, solo and recorded overlays or anything like that? Um, Andy, do you want to answer that or do you want me to answer that? Sure. I, well, I, I can add to whatever you say. So why don't you take the first, first 
first time. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so when you're watching the 2112 video, um, that's basically the 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 basic setup that we used for recording everything on the album. Um, when you hear all four voices, it's because all four of us were playing at the same time, essentially. Mm. Um, what we did end up doing, though, is at times we would, um, uh, after laying down the bass, like bed tracks, um, mm. we would go back in and just have me and Mac play together to get some bits maybe tighter, that kind of thing. And we would do maybe a full take of one song or something. Um, and then we would also, we would uh, layer in uh, the major solos for on, on the, for the violins and viola. So they could, they would have a couple runs at something without, you know, everybody else playing with them in the room. So there was some layering for sure. Cool. Cool. So, and I'm, to I'm, to that, go ahead. That when you see on the, in the film, when you see the solos, like uh, Sharon's solo and the violin in uh, presentation, and when you see Moira solo in Soliloquy, those are all one-take performances. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. awesome. And, you know, I, I know that sometimes, kind of depending upon the psychology of the, the moment, uh, you know, you're trying to keep going with the group. Sometimes the solo becomes a little more of a high-pressure situation. But when you got a chance to breathe on your own for a minute and not really worry about keeping up with everyone at the same time, um, it can give you a chance to really kind of express the the melody and the passage a little more effectively. Yes, yes, exactly, absolutely. Yeah, exactly what we did with, with Moira and Soliloquy, the emotion really came through in her performance. And so you, it's a continuity issue, not having everyone in at the same time for the video, but it still looks amazing. Cool. Turned out really well. Yeah, the video is awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing Thanks. that with us. <clears throat> um, I got to ask this question. Uh, Liza, you had posted a, uh, a video of Neil talking. Um, he was doing an interview, and it was a really co cool interview. I hadn't seen that one before. And um, as you know, he's, all his songs are so thoughtful, and there's uh, a lot going on in those. So the question for you is, what is one lesson about writing or playing that you learned from Neil Peart? Oh... <laughs> There's a lot of, you know, honestly, if I was to, I, there's a lot of things. I mean, I, I, I don't, words are not really my forte. It's more sound. Um, I do a little bit of lyric work, but um, I'm certainly envious of anybody that's, you know, has that kind of wordsmithing capability. But his use of, um, of rhythm and the way that he uses rhythm so melodically is incredibly inspiring. And um, the way that I do a lot of my arrangements, I have to make sure because we don't always have the, uh, when, when we do live performances, um, sometimes we have to do them without drums, depending on what clients want or, you know, what, what, what kind of show we're playing. Um, so I have to make sure that every arrangement will work without drums. And so I, I, <laughs> I'm always finding ways to make rhythms appear within melodic structure the way that Neil Peart does. That's a huge in, in, inspiration to me, for sure. Awesome. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I can understand the challenge of that for sure. Uh, and I, I yeah. can really imagine that it feels a little empty at times without, you know, the the uh, oh, yeah. comrade in, in the uh, same room. 
Yeah, well, it's 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 really challenging, and you'd be surprised the number of times we're asked to perform things like like a rock, like heavy rock songs. Like we just did, we just did Tool, <laughs> Lateralist. Uh, I just finished the arrangement for that, and uh, there's we had to do it without a drummer because oh. it was for a for a, that's what the client wanted. So I found ways to make the rhythms that are happening in the drum part. Uh, fit into the string quartet so you always have that sort of rhythmic pulse and mm-hmm. momentum happening if you don't have that it doesn't sound right I mean it doesn't sound like the song at all uh, you need to have a rhythm when you're playing rock or pop or basically you know anything in the sort of in in those genres and it just doesn't sound right and it's always better when we have mac let me just say (laughs) (laughs) and we work with a couple there's a couple other drummers that we work with too if mac can't do it and yeah they're so missed (laughs) i can't even imagine tool without danny carey's drum so (laughs) right love to hear that that sounds amazing Uh sounds difficult (laughs) will that be appearing on prometheus it is indeed, in theory. Yes. You know, if we can get that to all the all the licensing and all that kind of stuff is good, then it's going to happen. Awesome, man! It's fantastic. <laughs> um, Andy, did you want to uh, join in there with a lesson from Neil Pert? Or yes, um, I think it really what really hit me about Neil Pert. I mean, when you look at the photo of his notes for uh, one of the songs on the Caress of Steel album, I forget which one. But there was a note on Twitter that someone took a screenshot of his of Neil's like handwritten notes and all the lyrics. Oh yeah, was it, it was like reading something Mozart would write because it was like they came out perfectly and this is his draft, or I mean, it's the final. But maybe he rewrote it. Whatever. The point is, uh, a sort of idealistic approach where the the platonic ideal is in is in his head about what he wants to write, and it just he's like a conduit. It just conveys out, and he writes it on a piece of paper. So that kind of, you know, imagining the the ideal of, of the the ideal embodiment of something that I want to convey, and writing it down into into words is something I learned from Neil Peart. Awesome. Uh, before we we move to uh, talk about Prometheus a little bit, I want to give you guys the final word on twenty one twelve. Anything in particular? <laughs> the, well, the final any- word. Anything that we did not ask that you find relevant that you want to share oh. with listeners, um, just before we move on to the next one. Sure. Well, are, are we uh, sure on on twenty one twelve in heaven and hell? The uh, the the great experience was just working with everyone and making it uh, into a project that actually happened, and it was just a great experience overall. But I'm really happy with Sarah and Rob, Sarah Loera and Rob Lundgren doing the vocals on heaven and hell. And also we had a great lyricist named John Allen who wrote the lyrics based on my story. So it, it turned out really, really great. We're really happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think all the, the energy and the work that everybody brought into that project. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was really special. And I think uh, I loved working or listening to what Rob Lundgren and Sarah did for us. Um, wonderful wonderful singers both of them and uh and i had a, a bunch of friends of mine record the, record the choir parts too which was really cool and a bunch of them are are in a band called how to make people like you so <laughs> shout out to how, how to make people like you you guys are awesome 
we'll put that in the show notes for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, the the singers on um, Heaven and Hell were fantastic, and I think I said in the review show that the the guy singer almost sounded kind of judgy um, in the way that he enunciated. So I don't know exactly what it was. But yeah, yeah, beautiful yeah. Beautiful voice, I... but there was that air to him that I thought was really nice. Yeah. Well, you nailed it because again, you didn't have you didn't have the lyrics and you didn't know that he's doing the part of St. Peter. So he was mm-hmm. being judgy. He was totally, you nailed it. <laughs> yeah. And how did you guys, every, the people that you worked with, are they, um, did you know them? Did you find them somehow? How did that happen? I work with Sarah and Rob on other projects. Okay. Um, Sarah, I, I exec produced her album, uh, the undiscovered country based on another original story I wrote. And, uh, I'm working with on a different album called uh, The Seventh Seal, just based on the story for the Doom video game. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Album. But I, 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 to answer your question, I, I worked with both of them previously. Great. Cool. So when you when you bring people in like that, um, is it a collaborative effort at that point, or do you basically say, this is what I need, and they give you what you ask? How does that work? It's a collaborative that process, is... but at least yeah. on my end, a collaborative process. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, for you, Andy, you, you had the story and then Johnny kind of created the lyrics. And with the lyrics, I sort of, well, Johnny did some of the melodies too, um, based off of melodies that I had sent him sort of in rough sketches from the, as I was writing the uh, the strings and uh, the string parts for 2112. So by the time Rob and Sarah got their parts it was basically done um they were singing off of scratch tracks um but they certainly put their own you know quality and spin and character and personalities into it um and there were parts where you know i said to rob like just you know make make your the ending really epic (laughs) it's like just you've got like two two bars to sing a one note and make it sound epic and he did it was awesome (laughs) Rob has a really great sense of kind of his own interpretation really comes through and he, he just has great judgment on that. Yes. Yeah. It was very successful. Um, the entire record is amazing. And um, I would just say to anybody who's listening who has not heard it yet, get that record. Uh, both songs are amazing. You can just, you know, you can, yeah, you, we didn't know you spent hundreds or of hours getting that together, but you can tell that there was <laughs> great care taken in uh, making those two songs. Thank oh, you. it was a labor of love. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. must have been because you guys are already preparing for another record called Prometheus. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, Liza, do you want me to start? Yeah, you go for it. Okay, so this is another uh, situation where I'm literally, I'm literally at home on a computer and boom, it hits me. I have an idea for a story based on a doomsday scenario involving a killer asteroid and a guy who saves the world. So (laughs) I don't know where these things come from, but it's like, (laughs) there's this like lightning bolt that hits me and then I just, I'm typing involuntarily. It just appears on the screen. So how do you get to, from that to a number of songs on a record, how does that breakdown happen? I, I wrote a seven part story, um, overture, and then there's six other parts. 
that is like a, a long a long form kind of it's almost like an essay about this uh, this kind of imaginary situation. And so there's seven parts that we're breaking down into seven sections of the song. And I've already come up with the titles and given those to Liza. And uh, she has it from there. But uh, her sister Sam is coming on board to do the lyrics and vocal melodies this time. Nice. Go ahead, Liza. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be. Uh, so Prometheus is going to be a part of the album. It's going to be, I guess, a. Well, Andy, you wanted it to be kind of another 20 minute long thing, right? Right. We're also, we're doing Scarborough Fair, the full version of Scarborough Fair, uh, with the English folk ballad made famous by Simon and Garfunkel, but we're doing the full version of that. And then Prometheus and a bunch of original material from, from Deva Quartet and hopefully Lateralist by Tool. Cool. So a double album. So, yeah, yeah. And I saw that. Yeah, and it's going to be. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Fun. Awesome. Oh, I, saw, I saw it's uh, <laughs> slated for fall of next year. Is that correct? Fall 2020. Awesome. That's daunting. Are you scared, Liza? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Are you lying? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, it's going to be, no, I'm actually really excited. Uh, again, this is a, this is like a, a dream really to be given a project like this, like the, the Scarborough fair. Yes. There's, there's some guidelines because it is based on these, this like old English sort of epic thing. And, uh, but putting a, putting my own spin on it will be the challenge and making it work for, for Dave. And I think Sarah is going to be singing that one. And then, uh, yeah. And then, Right. And then Rob is going to be doing Prometheus. Um, so having the chance to work with the, those two singers again is, is such a treat. And I, I'm really excited to work with my sister. She and I have done one album before. And uh, she, more than myself, is so good with words. And I'm really excited. And she also lives in the same city as me. So Nothing against Johnny, but, you know, thanks to technology, you're able to email things back and forth, which which is amazing, you know, that we have that opportunity. Uh, and so that was how Heaven and Hell came into construction. You know, we're, we're emailing stuff back and forth. But it's really hard to replicate being in the same room as somebody and uh, working on ideas in a sort of, um, in a fluid, natural way. Um, which is going to be really, uh, I think, a nice experience this time around. Yeah, and they, if you haven't already heard this, they did, uh, Sam and Liza are part of another music group called Slammerkin, and they did an album based on ElfQuest, the comic. Oh, yeah. wow. Nice. It's really, yeah. Really really well, good. Steve and I are huge comic book nerds, so we'll have to check that out. Oh, right yeah. on. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we're Wednesday regulars, so. Yep. Nice. Um, okay, so <laughs> this is, okay, next fall. So how far along are you in the process of converting his story over musically? Oh, this is just, I've just, I'm just getting started. Like we're even just sorting out what keys to be working through right now is where I'm at right now. So bare bones, um, once I have a sort of general sense of, key structure and how we're going to get from one section to the next section. Uh, then I can start sorting out baselines and then I build it up from the baseline. And once that is established, 
and I can build the chords up, we can start sorting out the vocal melodies. And while I'm working through that, uh, Sam, my sister, is going to be piecing together lyrics from the story, and we'll, she will be bringing those to me, and then, uh, yeah, then it will evolve from 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 there. But right now, it's just like it's like it's it's in its infant stages. <laughs> yeah, the nice thing is lateralis is done. Uh, there's going to be a bunch of uh, original Deva quartet um, music on the album as well, which is already done. So that writing doesn't need to be done. It's really just these two original commissions that uh, are going to be taking up the the most of my time uh, in the in the writing process. That's for sure. And then rehearsing. <laughs> we'll be returning to Metalworks to film everything again. Oh, cool. That'll be awesome. I have another music nerd question too, with the, the writing and arrangement, giving the classical experience. Is it, are you avoiding parallel fifths and octaves or do you let those slide through these arrangements? Oh, <laughs> that's so funny. If you, it's like rock and roll is all parallel fifths. It is, yep. <laughs> like, it is so funny. Um, especially like going back to 2112, the rush thing, a lot of Alex license is like all parallel fifths and fourths, essentially stack chords. Mm -hmm. so it's like, haha, I'm breaking every rule. And I yep. have a master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> My teachers would just be like, Oh, teeth gritted. <laughs> Didn't fine. you learn your voice leading? <laughs> but uh, no, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> you know, nothing. <laughs> well, parallel fifths and fourths are a guitar player's best friend. So, you know, right? it's, it's funny yeah. how that goes, but, <laughs> Sometimes the creative process is about bending the rules. And exactly. Awesome. Sorry for Steve <laughs> and Mundy who may not know. That's classical rules. A lot of times they would want you to avoid certain notes and elements. Um, you had to kind of keep every voice unique throughout the process and uh, in the direction that they took. And so rock music essentially is considered one big no-no in the classical world. Yep. It's all right, man. It's part of our drinking game, you know. You start yes, talking technical, we drink. Well, get busy. <laughs> <laughs> and if I mention Rush, you drink. So, oh, how are we still upright? Hey. And it, yeah, and I don't it, know. <laughs> it's really sad because Tony's not here, and he's everything tool and nine inch nails. So you have to drink for that. Uh, so, your mention of lateral uh, would have been uh, a drink up. So. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry he'll he couldn't a, make it. Yeah, he'll be upset. He missed that chat. <laughs> I just cannot believe that you are undertaking this already. You're you're busy promoting a record and playing and practicing and you're writing an entire new suite. I'm impressed. That's right. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> it's uh, you know, it, it what they say. It's true. If you want something done, give it to a busy person. <laughs> so yeah. you just kind of you know you just slot it in and you just keep going. And uh, I also find. For when, when you're when you're working on creative things, if you're already in that zone, if your brain is already turned on, and you're just getting lots of ideas, and you're you're already in that open state, I think it's actually easier to continue working instead of kind of shutting that down and then, you know, um, back to the grindstone and then somehow getting back into the creative spirit. I mean, if you're able to keep <clears throat> you know, the ideas flowing. Um, I, f I find that it's lovely. We'll see how that goes. We're, we're planning uh, to be touring in uh, February and March. 
That's I was just coming down ask to the states. Yes, yes. So I'll probably not be writing very much at that point. <laughs> do, you, do you have your uh, dates yet? Where you where you will be heading? Not not right. Uh, I don't want to release anything yet because we're we're still in the process of confirming and making sure that we can just afford to be going on the road. So right now I'm I'm filling out. Yeah, like it's all about grant applications now and uh, pleading with Canada Council to to give us a little bit of money to help us get out on the road and, and uh, yeah, make it affordable. I will say that is one thing that I absolutely love about the Canadian government is their support of the arts. Uh, it's, we really don't have that here in America. It's actually feels like quite the opposite most of the time. Oh, right. That's, that's so, so wonderful. Yeah, you know, um, I I can't complain. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't, if I don't make it uh, to hear you here, we'll be up in Toronto in the fall. So hopefully, I'll amazing be able to see you play. Well, yes, we absolutely. Private, we had a private uh, live show at the twenty one twelve album recording. It was like kind of a live off the floor show for like a small number of fans of the group and some invited yeah. guests. Maybe we'll do that again. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what are some of your guys' passions outside of music? Are we allowed to? <laughs> um, it's an adult show. In all your yeah. free time. <laughs> yeah, in all the, the free oh. time that we have. Um, I, I love to, um, I, I write stories for myself on my, in my own time. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I'm, recently and this was never used this didn't used to be me at all but i've really gotten into sort of a, a fitness thing and i i enjoy going to the gym many times a week um and marathon by the way is always my go-to song that i get the gym to put on when i'm trying to beat a benchmark so um yeah thank you rush for helping me do that <laughs> and uh yeah andy what about yeah, you uh, yeah my uh, my day job is uh, law. I'm, I'm a lawyer by trade, so um, I am able to do the the side projects like music and film type stuff as a result of that. And my passions would be aside from music, film writing and film producing. I just um, I've been working on a shoot for the last few days in L.A. and Seattle on a, a movie, a short short film that's going to be a demo for a movie. So I'm producing that one as well. So I just, there's no shortage of stuff to spend money on or devote time to. <laughs> that cool. sounds awesome. Yeah. You guys are living the life. Yeah. Well, limited by budget, but there's <laughs> no, uh, no shortage of stuff to, to do. Cool. Absolutely. Liza, here's another quick question too, with the quartet and some of your outside influences, um, aside from Rush, Tool, and um, the previous classical repertoire, what else are you listening to out there these days? I, I listen to everything, you know, I, I love, I, I don't, I can't tell you if I, I could never say that I hate any genre. I think everything is good. There might be bands within a genre that I, I not really into listening to, mm -hmm. but I listen to everything and I'm, I'm always making new playlists and, but some of them, I mean, like if, if I was to break it down to give my, my favorites, like right on top of everything, like I, I love Yes. I'm a big prog rock fan. So Yes and Dream Theater. I really like their stuff. 
I noticed um, your shirt earlier. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. Um, Tom Waits, huge Tom Waits fan. And, I um, love early Tom Waits. The later oh, stuff gets a little kooky for me sometimes. He gets but, a bit strange, but it's it's all in a good heart. <laughs> his voice is so awesome. I I'm a big fan of interesting voices, and he he's about the epitome of that. And I absolutely adore his early work. Yes. Then yeah. I love the fact that we mixed the album at Prairie Sun, which has the, the Tom Waits room, where they nice. recorded the sound model for the, uh, there's a reverb uh, that they recorded there based on the model of the yeah. room. Oh yeah, that's Fire. awesome. Incredible. Yeah, I think that was, um, they did meal variations there. And, nice. um, and yeah, they, they actually, yeah, yeah. And they model the, the, the sound that Tom got out of that room. They sort of, they can now put it onto anything, which is kind of cool. Nice. I think actually we used we used that a few times in in our own album. We yeah. used the, so the Tom they, Waits room. So Paul, would they consider that room itself like uh, what do they call them, Kempers or? Um, oh, you're talking about the Kemper profiling things. Yeah, like that? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there are some algorithms that are created for plugins <laughs> to model it and, and uh, convolutions, if you will, con convoluted. Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of terms for it, and I'm tired, but uh, yeah, there's there's something out there. There's technology, but <laughs> to say the least. No, that's that's really really cool. Um, are you a fan of Porcupine Tree or Stephen Wilson a lot? Of, you know, given the oh sure prognod. Um, I had to bring that up because I was listening to uh, him again this week and I loved him for years and took a bit of a break and came back to him and man hit me just as hard as it did when I first heard him in 2004 so yeah that's a sign right when you can when you can come back to something and and the love just it's it's still there you yes know? yep for sure how about yeah. you Andy what uh what other music uh kind of tugs on your heartstrings and and feels I like uh concept albums so I mean I Big ones that come to mind. I mean, uh, the Who's, uh, the Who, uh, Tommy, I think was the title of the album. Yep. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe not. But that album that tells the story of Tommy, uh, who had the disabilities and everything, and you know, Pinball Wizard and all that. Yeah. I like albums that tell a story because I listen in a long form, start to finish kind of style. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Queen's Rike, Operation Mindcrime. That's always been one of my favorite. Yeah, story albums like a, you know from front beginning to end very cool story definitely man <laughs> i'm gonna have to go back and dig through my cd bins and i have to go back <laughs> and listen to all these things again <laughs> yes yep. sorry we can't come into work for a week we've got to catch up yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure our bosses won't mind yeah we're sure. talking about you know all this prog stuff and all this and that and concept albums and i'm sitting here and as as a metalhead like i've just recently fallen in love with lizzo so <laughs> I so that's kind of that's on the awesome. opposite end of the spectrum, but she's an awesome flautist. So uh, yes, there you go. There you go. There's that. <laughs> and I, I did see a headline saying because of her, there's been an uptick in interest in flute amongst uh, aspiring musicians. So there, there is that. That's great. See, there's hope for for all those flute players. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there's hope for music as a whole. I think that when, right. when somebody's inspired to pick something up because somebody did something cool, I I'm a big fan of that for sure. Well, just ask That's the Beastie Boys. Yeah, you can't beat a good flute loop. <laughs> 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 
Yeah. So I think we'd be a little bit remiss if we didn't ask though, Liza, what is um, a classical piece that you absolutely love? Oh man. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of amazing classical music out there too. But uh, you know what? If if you find yourself in a sort of in a dark space and you need to listen to something really heart wrenching, Shostakovich Piano Concerto Number Two, slow movement, second movement, I think. It's just like he rips your heart out and throws it on the table, and then you weep. <laughs> can, you, can you repeat the name Beautiful. of that again? Shostakovich. So that's the composer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Piano Concerto Number Two slow movement or second movement as a cellist um do you are you very much into like the chronos quartet or anything like kind of strange like that oh ab- absolutely yeah i there and there's there's yeah they are they're i don't know it's it's really cool but it's kind of challenging <laughs> It can be, yes. But that's like the, the 20th century classical, right? That, that's a genre, like modern classical. A lot of it is, is very experimental. Yeah. Um, and I think they do a good job. They've really done a lot to, to sort of rejuvenate or bring lots of attention to the genre because they do yeah. it very well. And a lot of people love working with them. I yeah. think they worked. Didn't they work with um, Bjork? Paul. I think they're the string quartet that did the uh, the strings for for one of the Bjork albums. Paul's the big Bjork fan. So. Yeah, and and I'm drawing a blank that very well could be. Um, speaking yeah. of Bjork, I'll have to look it up and I'll confirm in the show notes. But speaking of Bjork, um, one of my favorite composers is Arvo Pärt. Um, oh sure, yeah. Cantus in memory of Benjamin Britten. The uh, that's one of my favorite pieces uh, in the classical yeah. genre. But there was a really cool in kind of a discussion between Arvo and and uh, Bjork that was fantastic. It was you know her kind of speaking on her philosophies of music and just seeing him light up and just be completely inspired. And they were both kind of inspiring each other just by having a conversation. And it was just like, I want more of that in my life, you know, to say the yeah. least. So, um, but yeah. it, it's, it's just interesting to know that, you know, what you're doing is uh, a creative process with something that started so long ago. And then, you know, there's rules that can be broken. And that's what fascinates me is, you know, like the chromaticism and like what Arvo has done and, and, you know, the kind of the, excuse me, the rock groove being employed on instruments that didn't necessarily have that as a prevalent rhythm cycle. You know what I mean? Right. Right. You know, so it's, it's just really cool to see how, you know, what's old is new again and vice versa and, and how, you know, we are all essentially just the sum of our own experiences. I say that a lot because it's true. And the fact that, you know, we can take from something that's completely outside of our medium and, you know, refresh something that you know we've established as you know this set form before but then it becomes something altogether different so um yeah. to know that you're a part of that refreshes me as a musician and inspires me so i just wanted to say thank you in a long-winded way essentially <laughs> well it's ab- that's absolutely my pleasure but I, I i feel the same way you know so um it's 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 for us anyway for for the electric quartet you know, I feel like if, if Beethoven had been alive today, I think he'd be doing these things with, with these instruments. I think he'd be 
plugging instruments into amps and playing around with effects and mm-hmm. you know i think i think beethoven would would really like iron maiden <laughs> oh, yeah. i think you know they're all borrowing or using similar ideas just in in new or different ways mm-hmm. and i mean it all comes back to bach at the end of the day so right i don't know right <laughs> <laughs> if it ain't baroque don't fix it That's all right you're right. yeah <laughs> Bad joke. I'll say goodbye. <laughs> oh man. My my one of my other questions for Andy is, you know, as far as you know, outside of the music, what else is firing you up this day these days? And you know, you're talking about film and um, creating there. Is there any other outside elements that's influencing uh, some of your creative process? Yes, uh, I'd say I'm a I'm a film. Uh, I'm not a film fanatic, but I'm a I'm an enthusiastic film fan. So mm-hmm. I've watched like many many highly rated films and like you brought up Kronos Quartet uh, Heat by Michael Mann uh, with Kronos Quartet, Quartet doing the score I think was a re- was a great you know fusion of that kind of late 90s or mid 90s kind of style and uh, that type of project where there's like an unexpected fusion of interest between the participants and uh, the different things that they're doing is the kind of thing that really appeals to me. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish with these, uh, these album projects. That's great. Love it. That's awesome. <clears throat> so when all this is said and done, what do you two want your legacy to be? Where do you see you going? Who wants to answer first? <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to take longer to think about it? That's what you need to say, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I think in, in terms of my perspective, um, legacy, I mean, it seems a little, it seems like a presumption to think of, of that uh, now, but if, in, in 10 years, maybe differently. But uh, to the extent that I can say that I want, you know, something to be permanent, it would be that this is art for the sake of art. And it's really the, the meaning behind the project is what appeals to me and the fulfillment of getting it done and uh, putting something out of it that people enjoy is what I, I would like these things to be remembered for. Cool. Liza? Great. Yeah, I mean, absolutely um, resonating with what Andy is saying. And, you know, to add, um, because I'm, I I take the project and, and stand on stage and deliver to people. And um, it, it I, I hope to sort of create a new genre for strings or for, for any kind of instrument that may not have thought that it would lend itself to uh, rock or R&B or whatever. Like, um, go for it and try it and uh, see if you can make your own sounds. I think um, just trying to inspire other people and if, if I can accomplish that, that would, that would be, um, yeah. I'd, I'd be very happy knowing if I have the chance to know that I've, I've uh, struck a spark in somebody else's career or, or life and, and, you know, inspired them to do something for themselves uh, creatively, which, and I think, I think that the creative spirit is what changes things in the world. I do. I think when you put out good vibes, good vibes come back. And uh, yeah, I think um, that's what I would hope for. Well, I'm raising my hand. Like I said, you inspired me earlier, so got one down. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I think you said something kind of interesting there when you were talking about the instruments. 
Um, and I said this in the review and it bears repeating because you guys are so good and the, the story that you're telling is so strong that you forget you're listening to a string quartet and you're just listening to 2112 or you're just listening to heaven and hell. You don't just automatically go, oh, there's the violin. You know, you just, you're immersed in it and you kind of forget what you're listening to. It's, it's really wonderful. I'll tell you, like I, I, it was a huge compliment when, when initially, cause you guys were listening to the, to cello parts and, and you were like, yeah, the bass, the bass sounds great. And I was like, ah, it's a cello, but it doesn't sound <laughs> like a cello. It makes me so happy, <laughs> but we've worked really hard. We've worked very, very hard to get our sounds to, to work for us in that kind of way. And um, yeah, so what you're saying is a tremendous compliment because a lot of time and effort has gone into making things work exactly that way. For sure. Very, very cool. Sorry for the awkward silence there. It's just a, still taking a lot of the information in because, you know, as a musician myself, it's kind of like, man, how can I use some of these practices in what I do? So that's <laughs> right. the inspiration. So that's great. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's very good. Yeah. Well, um, so we've got Prometheus in the fall of 2020. Um, can you briefly tell everybody where they can find all of your current material so that uh, after they listen to this, they can run out and listen to everything in the Deva catalog? Uh, you name the streaming site, it should be on there. So all of Deva's stuff, and Deva is spelled D-E-V-A-H, um, would be in, uh, it's in Spotify, it's in Apple Music. Uh, you can download the album off of CD Baby. Um, hopefully, we're going to, actually, Andy, you might want to talk about this. We're getting the thing pressed into LPs. Uh, for, a, uh, for like a limited number pressing, hopefully out there by December, maybe Christmas. Is that right, Andy? It may get pushed to January, but uh, yes, right. we are doing a vinyl release, limited run, uh, and also a super deluxe edition that's autographed by the band. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. So there's that. And then, yeah, All right, the 2112 video um, is up on YouTube. Just type in Deva. 2112 and it should be the first thing that pops up if you want to see the the full 20 minutes of our our tribute to to Russia's epic it's up there too and then we have our own YouTube channel and yeah very yeah cool. it's totally worth watching that video if you have not seen it it is amazing yeah and you know please feel free to update us with any kind of links you want us to share as well we'll, we'll certainly send it out to the fan base and let them know when the, the release is ready physically when you have tour dates confirmed things like that we'll we'll be happy to help spread the word oh awesome thank you so much no thank problem. you i mean happy to help what i've oh well I, you know at the end of the day the most important form of like spreading the word is is just word of mouth and and people just coming together and sharing things i um one of the the most touching things honestly when we released that 2112 video i mean we're we're not a huge band we're not known but so many people like on the first day i think we had like 75 shares on this on this video um and it was just like whoa that's that's amazing like it's it's not so much a testament to us but a testament to rush that they have 
such wonderful fans that follow everything and are behind everything and they listen to everything. And um, so that was really touching, um, but goes to show that just one person sharing really makes a difference. So, you know, anybody out there, if you, if you get behind anybody, you know, not necessarily us, but any band, they all need it. Just share stuff that you love (laughs) because it's important. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's kind of that whole kindness always wins factor for sure. You know, and uh, the good vibes I'm all about. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. and that's we we totally get that too because we're 100 percent independent you know we don't have any sponsors or anything we're just we do this because we enjoy it and put it out there and hope somebody else enjoys it well that really Wonderful. came through in your, in your review of the album we really yeah it. it really was true you guys are true music fans and it's always you know great to have such positive things said by true music fans so thank you Oh yeah. I listened to the whole thing. It was about 30 minutes. and I just smiled the whole time. It was 30 minutes of smiling. <laughs> well, yeah. I think the, the good thing there is that it was completely from the heart. Um, we weren't just saying it to make you happy. Um, we were being as honest as we could. Um, we have had shows where we weren't very happy about music and we, right. we don't trash the person because um, that's not what we're about, but uh, we definitely are it. honest about our yeah. what we feel about the music so I, we totally 100 percent really enjoyed that record if we don't like right. something we do at least try to be constructive <laughs> yeah yeah well that's always good yeah, but sure. yeah that, that if you were if you just loved everything that would sort of i don't know <laughs> then, <laughs> then it's like well what does that mean right you know it just means everything is amazing and it's it's unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> I actually, nice, yeah, I actually had a, I, someone was trashing a uh, foreigner earlier that I saw and I was like, well, wait a minute. I'm like, I like foreigner, you know, it's not my favorite band, but music is subjective and you like what you yeah. like and it's okay right. if you don't like it. <laughs> totally. That's the thing. I mean, we all get rid so everything's so precious these days, right? Yeah. So yeah <laughs> that's okay i we were i was prepared i was like oh, maybe they're gonna maybe they're not gonna like something you know you're waiting for it obviously but well. <laughs> i know i i write a lot of stuff and i put it out there for people to read and um the first time i wrote a chicago blackhawks article for a website my first response was you know nothing about hockey <laughs> so, oh. it's just one of those things and then uh <laughs> Since then, heartwarming it's, isn't it <laughs> he was clearly wrong but uh <laughs> right <laughs> but yeah anytime that you put anything out for public consumption i mean you set yourself up for people yeah. saying things about it and so just gotta right. have thick skin and let it roll off oh yeah oh yeah well i think anybody in the in the mu- music industry for sure i mean that's part of the job <laughs> i mean you don't you don't get to be anywhere unless you've been criticized because without criticism you don't criticism you don't get better right so you you need it actually to and you uh, can't always assume that everybody else is wrong yeah no that's another thing yeah absolutely <laughs> go on for a while about that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you have a story andy <laughs> yes, <laughs> no, but just a just a summary. Um, there, it, I don't know if this is a shared perspective, but this is my perspective. 
the barrier to entry in music is currently too low, in my opinion, because there's just so much stuff being put out there that people are, are thinking that if they just, if they have a song that they, that they want to do, they just do it. And then they pay no attention to the quality of the recording or the mixing or mastering. And you end up with too much junk when it needs to be a higher standard of quality. So I think just, you know, it's a challenge filtering through all the noise these days. And I mean, I'm sure I'm not saying anything, you know, novel. It's just that, um, finding that that jewel or that diamond kind of group is the kind of thing I live for. And that's what I believe I found with Bevac Quartet and other some other artists I work with. They're, they're truly talented people who deserve to be on these albums and records and be famous. Well, it's hard to can... disagree with all of that. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there's definitely a lot of blood, sweat and tears put into the musicianship prior to you know, coming up with the end result, you know, there was, there was certainly a lot of wood shedding and developing skills and, and that's critically important. And, you know, in today's age where, you know, and I'm not trying to bash those who were enthusiastic, enthusiastic and just learning, but um, a laptop solves a lot of people's problems when they can't make strings resonate properly. Right. So, yeah. you know, I think, you know, while that medium has its purpose and can sound great at the same time, there's something to be said about, you know, actually holding, uh, something made of wood that is designed to, when you strum it, project and, and, you know, really build a sense of clarity as well as discipline musically. Yeah. Kind yeah. of a double-edged sword. It's easy to get music out there, but like you said, Andy, too many people are getting music out there. So, <laughs> yep. All right. Cool. Well, we thank you both so much for coming on the show tonight. It has been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank and, you um, for hosting us. Thank you. Well, you are welcome. And um, we are huge fans of 2112, and we cannot wait for your release of Prometheus in the fall of 2020. And to everybody else out there, uh, we will be back next week as JPP issues the Lester Bangs Inspired Challenge. And uh, we're going to finally play Metalhead Monday's challenge game of our favorite Halloween or body parts song. And uh, it looks like we're finally going to get to review the latest Life of Agony record. So yes. until then, bye now.